This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 560 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Johnny McLaughlin. Now, Johnny is not only a veteran firefighter, but he's also one of the originals in the CrossFit world. So we discuss a host of topics from working as a lineman during Hurricane Andrew, his journey into the fire service, entering the world of CrossFit, training the tactical athlete, and so much more. Now, I do want to preface, we did record this a few weeks ago, so we discuss about the upcoming games and Dave Castro being there. Sadly, based on current events, that is not the case. With that being said, as I say every single week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you, Johnny McLaughlin. Enjoy. All right, well, Johnny, I want to start by saying thank you so much for inviting me here to the station. So everyone listening, we're doing this in a fire station today. So for the audience, where exactly are we sitting? Uh, we're in Palm Beach Gardens Fire Station 61. Uh, this is our main station. Uh, it's been my department now for 27 years. Beautiful. So I love to start at the very beginning, chronologically. So tell me where you were born and then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Oh, great. So we're going to go way back here. Way back. <laughs> yeah, 53 years worth of back. Uh, so uh, born and raised in Ohio. Um, so I have one sister. The uh, um, Ohio, right off the bat question, is, it's, it's a little, little irony right here. I'm already feeling it early. We've had, in probably my past two weeks, I've gone through this same question multiple times maybe it's holiday conversation or something but small talk but i've gone back in my mind a bunch of times now back to when i was you know born and raised in ohio and i've reflected on it a lot i was literally a huck finn child growing up in the backwoods of ohio and west virginia and the appalachian so yeah so it's pretty cool to hear that already been asked to me like with our first 30 seconds <laughs> and whereabouts <laughs> exactly in ohio because my wife's from north canton so near Near Cleveland, not too far from Cleveland. Yeah, uh, the, as a small town, Pomeroy, obscure, southeastern Ohio, most have never heard of it, uh, near the river in West Virginia, uh, very, very, very rural Ohio. Beautiful. Now, what about your parents? What did they do? Um, my parents have, uh, well, they were, they were divorced when I was younger, so uh, they've uh, split themselves between um, Tennessee and Ohio. My mom is still in Ohio. My father's in Tennessee. Um, father was in, uh, industrial mechanical, um, work. Um, mother was in, uh, uh, youth, uh, psychology. Um, and yeah, they've, uh, they've 
been through, uh, ooh, probably in the, as, as long as I can remember, um, you know, just a really kind of a dynamic world and stuff as far as, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and, you know, having to deal with, you know, a, a big economic changes and everything else. And there was a lot of history right there. So you said your mom was a youth psychologist? Yeah. Yeah. Youth psychology. Um, uh, work with a, uh, she started out in the, in the adult sector and then she kind of like migrated over into youth and, uh, and children. And, uh, so a lot of that, um, not shared with me throughout, you know, most of my upbringing. I didn't find out about more of it until I was an adult and stuff because work would be work and then home would be home. So I didn't really find out a lot of it until I was, I was more of an adult. And then there was the, also, also that little, that little period of, you know, the divorce. And then, you know, I was living with my father. So there was some separation time between me and my mother and stuff. So, but there was a, uh, there was a lot that I had found out about my family and stuff from, from the history. Um, so that's a fascinating kind of, you know, tangent right off the bat. Um, obviously in the fire service, we've been exposed to our own mental health. Um, as I've done this podcast, I've realized how much childhood trauma factors into our journey later on before we even put the, the uniform on. Were there any takeaways in some of your conversations as you got older with your mom on mental health, especially in our children? Um, I don't think that we ever got into, uh, I'm a different generation and I, and I know that. Um, and, and my, my parents and my upbringing and the, the Ohio, um, Appalachian, um, upbringing, uh, is just a completely different genre generation than, than where we are today. You know, I'm not saying we had a blind eye to any of this and I would assume, and I'm only assuming my mother had a lot of, you know, instinct and knowledge and, you know, was way ahead of even for the times. But then again, in those times, still 30, 40 years ago, in a sense, um, it was just different than what it is today. Uh, so we never had a lot of really like direct conversations of it. Um, you know, and ex- or even specifically, you know, about I or her or the, or the family. Um, you know, I just found out more of a, a cursory, you know, what some of her employment was or, or what she worked with or worked on with, you know, some youth or some kids, the ages. So we didn't really delve into it. And I think that's a, it's just a, uh, it's a time thing. Yeah. Just different from where we are today. Now with Which being out, <laughs> <laughs> now with being out in the country, another question I always ask people that are in smaller towns, it seems like, especially in the, the urban setting that we lose some of that community and it seems to me that that's why a lot of people struggle and they can feel so desperately lonely in a city of millions of people so when you look back was there a sense of community in that small town you grew up in 12 or 13 was the age of um when i was younger than that when my parents divorced but at about 12 or 13 is when i actually moved from ohio to south florida so when you talk about community, so there was this 12 or 13 year old I that was in Ohio, rural country, you know, had a lot of contact with, you know, a small group of friends or people, but it was very far in the country. Like you could not see the next home country living from that to South Florida, South Miami, living in a quadruplex 
at 13 with a completely different variation of ethnic diversity and people and environment. Um, so I saw a lot of differences and changes and pretty rapidly. And what brought so, you your family over here? Um, employment. You know, uh, a lot of the industries in Ohio shut down. Um, there was a, a, a really recessive time um, economically then. Um, so we all, uh, so father moved us to a place where, you know, you could find employment. South Florida was in a kind of a boom state, which I don't think it's even stopped yet. South Florida is still growing. Um, so, uh, it was just employment. Uh, it was literally get yourself in the truck, wagon, car and migrate to, to find work. So yes, yeah, so it was a, it was a difficult time, but growing time for sure. Yeah. Now, how did you manage that transition? Cause I grew up on a farm myself in England, you know, and I ended up at one time underneath Burbank airport, you know, living in an absolute rat hole. So I can relate to some of the, the, uh, you know, the, the impact of some of these changes. I learned real quickly, um, that I was way out of my element and I had to rely on my smarts or my cleverness or my ability to, you know, read what's going on and, and figure out, you know, how I could, you know, be part of whatever I'm involved in. Um, it shaped me a lot. That was that in my lifetime as a young teenager to do that, that definitely shaped me. And I think in a positive way, honestly, you know, having to, having to work through that, as life presented to me, it shaped me, but it was definitely something. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously we're going to talk a lot about CrossFit, tactical athlete fit, fitness. Um, when you were in the school ages, what sports were you playing? And was there a shift in sports from Ohio to, to Miami? Um, so Ohio, if you're familiar with any of that region up there, it's, um, so as a, as a young male, the rite of passage is football, wrestling, hunting, like there's just, it's just what you do. It's, it's not even, a, it's, uh, it's probably a choice, but I doubt if it's choice. You just do it. It's just, it's just the culture thing. So there was, a um, so it was wrestling, uh, it was football. Um, it was just outdoors. I, like I said, when I said Huck Finn, I mean a shotgun myself, five, 10 miles from home in the woods by myself and know what I was doing. It was a completely everyday active lifestyle. There was no TV. There was none of that. That was the Ohio youth. Um, family transition moved to South Florida. Um, the, the outdoor was gone. Just wasn't an option. Um, but the, the sports were there. Um, so just continue on at that point with just, uh, with just football. And that was at a, junior varsity varsity high school level at best um experience and then maybe later you know probably got into some of the you know the, the weight room high school football mentality but that was the extent of it totally gotcha we'll stand on that for a moment so you know i'm 47 so when i came up through the i guess the the age level ranks when it came to 1820 you know my exposure to exercise was machines it was you know bodybuilding basically and it took a long time to kind of unlearn a lot of the, the way i was taught to eat the way i was taught to work out what was you know what was the strength and conditioning introduction that you had in the kind of high school and after period of your life 
uh, strength and conditioning introduction, the, the rattiest, grimiest, rustiest, clanging York plate. If you're at home, it was the plastic concrete field filled like, you know, buy it Sears and Roebuck kind of. It was, yeah, it was, it was there. And there was no like, you know, shared knowledge instruction. It was, you know, you bench and you, you, if you're lucky, you knew to squat. And, um, and they just pick stuff up. And, and if you were a different type of athlete, you'd be the athlete that would go and run. You know, there wasn't a, there wasn't a combination of those two at all. Those were two different states. Um, so it was just a, a very inexperienced by feel who were you around at the time. Um, and, and not really a lot of equipment. Um, I can remember back to any of the, uh, the images I have of being in like a, a weight room or a, or, a, or not even a facility, a place where that equipment was stored or held. Um, maybe some of the really old stick the pin in machine for a lat pull down, but that was really the extent of, there wasn't a sea of machines. Um, there was some steel weights just hanging out in corners, put together a bar and there was always a bench. That was it. Beautiful. We'll yeah. obviously talk about the metamorphosis <laughs> of, of that world. Um, so sure, what sure. about career aspirations? When you were at school, what were you dreaming of becoming? Wow. What was I dreaming of becoming? Um, I was pretty active. Uh, when I grew up in Ohio, I had a lot of uncles and my father, and they were all mechanically inclined we would work on cars and it was just well, they had to because that was just how you fixed your stuff so you know and 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 working on the homes and building homes just whatever uh it was more of a very of a construction based kind of like you know there wasn't a, a big admiration to go do a, a college stint and i think it was mostly just going to i think that i see or i knew that i had it i was going to be working with my hands or doing something of that nature you know um wasn't scared of construction or, or you know labor work or as an option you know i think in most cases my upbringing that's that was probably looked as a positive thing you know work hard and you know go out there and earn a living um, so there wasn't anything like big, huge dreams of doing anything, you know, like great or going off to college, to become a lawyer, a doctor and all that. I think it was just, uh, you know, find a job and work hard and, you know, just be active because that just was naturally easier for me. Beautiful. So walk me through the journey to becoming a lineman. No, you found out it's a lineman. Excellent. Good <laughs> research, my friend. Yeah. I think we may even have talked about this, but yeah, most people don't know about that one. Um, so I was, uh, uh, so in South Florida, uh, in a small or small little community of, 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 of like South of Miami, almost as you get to the Keys, uh, there's a town or community called Homestead. It's a smaller city. Um, great city. Um, so we were, we, that's where we were living. Um, had finished high school, um, had done some employment, you know, as any high schooler would, you know, I was really at that time into like fishing and boating. And like, so I had, I'd actually worked my way up to be a manager of a bait and tackle store. And that was my hobby. And like, I love being on the ocean and, you know, we were in the keys all the time. So that whole period was like, was just all based around ocean and fishing and the keys. And it was great. And, but it wasn't a career location. It was, you know, I was working at a bait and tackle shop and, you know, but I loved it because it was passion. It was fun to me. Um, so my father had been working at this city homestead, which was kind of a unique in, um, a, a, in the power industry. Um, they were a, a diesel generating plant, um, that supplied electricity, um, to the city itself. And within that, they had their own, 
uh, line crew and electrical department. So they had their own electrical distribution system, um, their own uh, lineman and line crew, um, which is very super unique for a small municipality. That does not happen anywhere. Most are, especially in Florida, it's, it's a large corporation, Florida Power and Light, so it's a very big entity. This is a very small entity, which still seemed to fit in a way, looking back 100%, you know, the small town, Ohio, little group, you know, that was my comfort zone. Um, so, um, out of high school, uh, got employment, um, as a meter reader, you know, reading electrical meters, going yard to yard like the mailman does, but reading your electrical meter for your electrical utility, um, at this small municipal city homestead. And that's what, uh, led me into the starting employment. Uh, from there, it was a, uh, adaptation into a, uh, an apprenticeship as a journeyman lineman. So there's about a three-year apprenticeship for you to become a lineman. So, um, so I kind of fell right into the same department and I got accepted into the, the IBEW apprenticeship program to become a lineman. So then for the next three years, it's all training and on the job working, going from alignment one, alignment two, alignment three into a journeyman lineman. Um, and then getting your, your certificate, your, your document, your, you know, like, all right, here you go. I'm qualified now for, uh, 600 volts to, to 500,000 volts. Um, and I was, uh, at that point then I became a lineman, which I dug, man, climbing poles outside. I got so many stories. Oh, but just, it was, it was a really exciting, dynamic, fun career, core group of, of foremans and experienced linemen and everything else should be familiar to you. What does that sound like? The fire service. It's exactly like the fire service. What do we, what do you think our number one training element is? What's it based around? About, as a as lineman? lineman, yeah. What do you think the most important thing of a lineman is for us to be like concerned about and uh, trained based on? Well, based safety, I would assume. Exactly. Yeah. So talk about a natural segue. Mm -hmm. It was exactly what it was. So, a lot of passion for it. Loved the career. Still in contact with some people from very long ago, like 30 plus years ago. But yeah, that's how I became a lineman. So I had a guy, Ryan Lucas, who actually has the Powerline podcast and he's a career <laughs> lineman. Um, and it's crazy because you, you hear some of the roles that some of those men and women hold, like hovering from a helicopter and wearing this metal suit and mm -hmm. straddling lines as you fix them. So you mentioned about some stories. Are there any that kind of spring to mind from that career? Oh, gosh. Probably the ones where we, where we almost caused ourselves harm. Well, really the one that is, is truly the most probably uh, that I do have, sure I have scars from was Hurricane Andrew. Um, Hurricane Andrew, one of the most, you may recognize, one of the most devastating hurricanes we had. What a devastated homestead, didn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It yeah. literally, the hurricane path walked right down my street and went right through the middle of our town. So we were, um, they brought us in to be ready for a response after the hurricane. And this was the, this was, we're still novices at hurricane at this point. Go back 30 years. We've learned a lot, but we were still very novice at, you know, hurricane response. And there was so much has been learned over the years. We are literally in what's called our show up with our trucks. That's where we stage everything. So we're in our shop or show up with our trucks and we're riding the storm out there. This building wasn't ready for the hurricane. We're setting on our back kind of uh, elevated platform where our trucks are. The roof rolls off over our head. 
literally rolls off over our head in the middle of the storm because we think we're all, you know, we're construction linemen, you know, we're tough as can be. So we're just out there in the middle of the storm, um, you know, watching it all blow by. Uh, we run for cover. We tie doors closed with ropes. We're like huckering down because it's that bad of a storm. We're like in the middle of tornadoes. Um, we wake up the next morning and not really wake up. I take that back. It's about wrong, wrong, wrong terminology. Um, we go to daylight the next morning after the storm completely passed, you know, and our entire electrical distribution, every wire from the power plant to every home is gone. We are at a zero for thousands and thousands and thousands of residents. All of our own homes have no roofs. We are in a parking lot that is filled with diesel because the tanks ruptured that fed the power plant. And we're in a pond of diesel. Our trucks are pinned in because of damage to the buildings. We are in a war zone and we are at a zero for what we need to do for the next six months of camping in our homes, I had three months of no power at my own home where I'm putting in 16 hour days, seven days a week for us to rebuild the entire distribution center from square one. That was one of my line of stories. That is insane. Now, where, now, how does that, how does that planning begin? Because again, you know, you've got Katrina, you've got Andrew, you've got all these, you know, horrendous uh, incidences that we see, these natural disasters. Yeah, yeah. Um, having, an insight into this department that you work for that was actually small compared to, as you said, FPL. Um, what was that planning? You know, how, how did you, how did you kind of roll out zero back to all homes having power again? Um, there were things that were happening. We had no clue about. We were literally in survival mode. You know, we need food. We need shelter. Um, there was no equipment available. There was no supply chain. There was, there was nothing. There was some big cries for help. Um, some smarter people someplace else, you know, started to get some resources in place. Obviously, the military and everybody else come in a big way. Um, FEMA, the, the older version of FEMA, not the more experienced version of FEMA now, you know, came in play. Um, and then we had, uh, hundreds and hundreds of other, um, municipal line workers show up and help us to rebuild everything while we just struggled. That's how it went down. Now, so, when I think of Homestead, my first department I worked for was Hialeah. So I was down here. But what I remember them talking about was a lot of the fatalities were because of the large mobile home neighborhoods that you had there. Was that, was that actually what you were seeing as well or hearing? Um, there, so it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, there's a, there's a, the sense of it of, of hearing about it afterwards or, you know, or being on the outside looking in versus being in the middle of it. We couldn't get any more in the middle of it. There was no information. We, we knew nothing. What we knew is what we were able to physically see. That's the extent of it. And this went on for months because we were working so hard. There was no opportunity to find out, you know, news or there was no ability to even watch those things. There was, and that we don't have cell phones like we have cell phones now. I mean, none of that stuff was there. So we're in the dark. We are, we are literally head down, working, surviving, trying to find out. Now, did we hear stories afterwards, you know, for years? Oh, absolutely. You know, people caught us up for years, you know, and, and some of the responders from some of the outside communities who came in and the other linemen who would come in in rotations, you know, maybe a month or so later, you know, we would have conversations and they would tell us things and stuff, but we were completely in the dark. 
We didn't know any of that. We knew that we've seen the devastation to every single home and stuff. And we, as small as our city was, it the the community was so devastated. We got lost in our own community. Roads that we have driven down hundreds of times, like that we I've been in every single yard in that community reading their meters. I have I know that I can't know the community any better. Mm-hmm. We're getting lost. We're Good missing turns. Much. There's it's gone. Mm-hmm. There's nothing we can recognize. It's all gone and just filled with debris. You know, so, yeah. Now, what were some of the, the ordinances or, you know, changes made structure construction right wise while they were rebuilding, even even on the power side? having had this worst case scenario kind of thrust upon them uh well the well the dade county um hurricane the 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 most stringent code right now that as i know the dade county code came out of hurricane hendra right you know the the glass penetration the test the the, the blowing the two by four 100 miles an hour whatever it is towards uh towards windows and doors and openings and and um and uh, uh roof fixtures and tie downs it all came from it all came from Andrew. I mean, that was the biggest catalyst for what caused all of those construction changes, um, for, for wind and lift and everything else. So, um, there was huge changes, but what we saw in the immediate blue tarps and just find a way to turn your home into something that's safe. It wasn't, it wasn't construction. There was nobody to inspect. There was none of that. There was assessors coming out for insurance companies, spray painting the front of your house, and you were trying to find something to live in. There was years before we got into. Let's rebuild. Right. Long time. I, like I said, it was three months before I had power. And I was one putting power on my own house. So it took me three months to get my power back. To your own family. <laughs> to my own family. Oh, yeah. yeah. Months. Now, I read as well, and I got to give a shout out to your gym. This is where I got a lot of my information from. Great interview you did with them. Um, but you actually found a plot further north in Jupiter and actually built your own house. Oh, yeah. So tell me about that process. <laughs> was that coming out of Andrew then? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And because of Andrew, because of Andrew in a big way. Um, so imagine, you know, a lineman, you know, it's a, it's a good career. It's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good career. So, you know, it's, 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 it's I, I thought it's a great career, honestly. Um, so now I have, you know, I'm a, I'm a 20 something, you know, um, I have had a year of, of 16 hour a day, seven days a week overtime. Um, I've had zero expenditures in my life. I mean, you have no bills, you have nothing. So at the most intense, um, income opportunity of your life, if you're willing to work through it. Um, I, and, and post Andrew and post all the kind of like rebuilding everything else, when the dust finally settled, um, I'm sitting there with a, um, with a home that I have paid off. Um, I have a lot of money in the bank and I'm still employed at a, uh, as a lineman, you know, making a, a, a really good wage and, you know, I have no bills. I mean, it was, it was a fast forward career catalyst that gave me like, well, what do you want to do next? You know, you can do what kind of whatever you want to do right now, stability, and it's it's all there. You don't have to worry about anything. And you've got, I felt, a pretty good, like, buffer or nest egg to make, you know, a significant move if you wanted to. Um, South Florida, that area changed greatly after Andrew, um, and not for the better, I think. It, was, it wasn't growing up in South Miami and South Florida and where I was at, and at this time now, you know, um, married child, probably coming soon. Family now is important than ever. 
Um, I didn't think that this was a place where I wanted to raise a kid and have a family. So how can I branch out from here? I could be alignment elsewhere, anywhere in the country I wanted to. Um, but I found out about this fire service thing, this firefighter thing. You know, maybe it was the lore of it. Maybe it was like, you know, it would be cool. Maybe it was the hours. I don't know what it was at the time. I'm a 20 something year old, you know, I'm a construction guy. Um, something got me like, you know, really interested. I think I was talking to enough people at the time and they're like, you know, yeah, it's really cool. You work 24 hours and you're off for two days, you know, you drive around the trucks. Like, so I think there was a little bit of like, you know, it seemed cooler and like more of a, uh, something that I think I would really enjoy. Um, so yeah. So post Andrew, I had an opportunity to make any big decision I wanted to. I knew my family and, um, that was important to me. So I wanted to move someplace to raise a family. So for me, it took, it took two things. One, I had to either change careers or change my employment because Homestead was just couldn't travel from Homestead. So I was like, all right, I'll be a firefighter. Done deal. That's it. Track started. I'm off and running with it. Night school in one county taking fire standards in another county, still working as a lineman doing my EMT in the keys at night, still working as a lineman, you know, getting all my certificate stuff lined up, become a fireman. Financially stability was there. So I was able to do it pretty easily with that. So I, be, I get all my stuff and then I start to look for employment. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, where am I going to live? So I dropped a pin in an area called Jupiter, Florida. And that's where I wanted to raise my family. So I bought a lot. And then I knew it's somewhere in that 60, 100 mile radius. I'm going to be a fireman someplace. Go find a job. So got on my school, got me a place I want to live, go find a job. I found a job in the circle. Now it's St. Lucie County Fire Rescue or St. Lucie County Fire District at the time. So way north. So I was living in Homestead, working in St. Lucie County. Two and a half hour, two hour drive. Yeah, through <laughs> through Miami, which is a nightmare. Uh huh. That was that was the daily, and then I've got this home that um, I'm going to be building on this lot in Jupiter and starting a family. And that home thing—that's a that's a whole crazy element too. Um, I drew it out on paper, gave the 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 the, the plans that I had to an architect. Went um, owner builder, and next thing I know, I'm working in St. Lucie County as a fireman. I've got a trailer on that lot in Jupiter, and I'm building my own home from the ground up. See, that's amazing. How long did that take you? A year. But you did it literally yourself, and I'm assuming some some friends and not many, not many, yeah. But I did except for the block work and I every nail screw steel rebar concrete tile plumbing yes i built the house from the bottom up and you mentioned about having construction in the family was that were those skills that you already had or was this partly learning as you're going along as well both 
I wasn't scared of it because I, as a lineman, you're on construction sites every day. I've seen every aspect of a home being built start to finish. I knew exactly what it was, spent hundreds of hours looking at homes under construction. I understood it. I understood the process completely. Had I done it? No, never done it before. You know, maybe some remodel after Andrew and stuff gave me uh, like a really good feel for it. So I knew I could do it. Um, but there was so many skills that I'd never done before, but it's not hard. It, it really is. And if you just, Take your time. You could learn how to do any of those skills. They're not, it's not rocket science. You know, you're not the most efficient. You probably, it's not, not going to be the prettiest, but it's safe. It'll work. You get inspected. You make some mistakes. Somebody with more experience will help you correct those. But in the end, yeah, it's not, it's not rocket science. Beautiful. Is that where you live now? The same place or did you finally move out of there? Um, lived there for about 12 years. Um, did a whole, Raising a family, changed a couple fire departments until I finally landed here in Palm Beach Gardens. Um, did a whole horse equestrian thing for a while with a wife and stuff. It was in the barrel racing and rodeo stuff. And, um, and then daughter got older, um, getting out of high school. The property was too large. We wanted to downsize. So, uh, we had a, uh, 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 we went into a, uh, um, it's a gated community, but it's not really like, it's not a really strict gated community. I don't want to sound the wrong way. Um, but, uh, they were building homes in an area closer in the town that we really liked the location. So we moved into town more at Jupiter and, uh, built us another home. And that's where we're at right now. And we love it. Love it. So Fantastic. good. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's an amazing kind of journey to where you are now. <laughs> that was a tangent here and there and up <laughs> but, and over and down. But that's what I love about these conversations, though. <laughs> well, that's where it went. So one thing I want to ask you, though, because, um, you know, Ryan and I had this great conversation. I was on his podcast. He was on mine. And we kind of, you know, shared information on some of the scenes. You know, they are on scene with a lot of our structure fires. So, um, you know, what are some of the things that you see in the fire service Um mistakes that we make lessons learned that kind of thing when it comes to the power side i mean i, I there's a lot of f- uh, linemen out there that have the sticker on the back says even firefighters need heroes too <laughs> um but it's true like i electric you know, electricity wasn't wasn't so much that it scared me but i was just i was helpless like what am i going to do i can't turn that power pole off you know what i mean so they're absolutely an integral part of the overall scene so bringing your previous profession into the fire service were there any scenes that you have where you're able to apply that or was there any kind of um reoccurring um mistakes that you see departments make when it comes to that um well so the 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 one common theme i see and i think you alluded to it a little bit um most firemen see electricity as a mystery you know and, and they have a very healthy dose of fear of electricity rightfully so stay there yeah. Don't go away from that. Keep that. That's there for a reason. Yes, it's very dangerous. Um, especially if you don't know what you're dealing with. I mean, it's invisible. It doesn't have a smell. Most of the time it doesn't have a sound. You just don't know. You don't know what's going on with that wire or that conductive material. Um, so yes, please, um, maintain a healthy degree of fear and caution around electricity of all times. Um, as soon as I got into this, I, I started to share all my knowledge and, you know, I, I put together training classes and I brought out some props that we would use as linemen and stuff. And, you know, it's amazing what you can do with a little neon generator, you know, and, and make uh, arcs and, and teach people about conductive material and everything else. So, um, got into a very long stint of that, you know, sharing my knowledge and stuff. Um, I think the only place that I could say, you know, f- um, helping someone out from, 
from this platform right here is that I think most, most do, and I've never really seen it on scene that when they see the obvious stuff, it's the obvious stuff. You know, they see wires and they see those things involved. They're very cautious and they're appropriate. They wait for Florida power and light here locally or whoever the responding utility company is correctly. So, um, I think where there's an area that they could probably use a little more like maybe, uh, inclination or training is, is maybe in some of those post storm moments or in those environments when everything is changed and differently and generators are running and working and the power distribution system is supposed to be down or something. So like in a very dynamic post hurricane or something like that. And we've had enough storms come through that were bad enough that, you know, really, um, cause damage and, uh, and people should be more cautious. Um, I think in those environments, probably the one place where, um, they should really amplify their their caution because electrical distribution system works both directions. So it works from the power company side of it, developing wherever the energy source is into your home. And then if you're running generators from the other side, that system works the same way in reverse. And same with solar panels? Huh? And solar panels too? All that. The battery banks, the solar panels, the generators. Um, Most of those systems, you know, have a a built-in separation that's a little bit better than had it been before but generators are still one of the things that's you know they're safe when they work correctly but if they don't work correctly that system still works in reverse so it's just be very careful there beautiful yeah when i was at anaheim that was the only only time i really had in 14 years four departments that i had a good presentation on that and it was the local electrical company there and even to this day, I mean, that was my last place. They had a transformer fire mm-hmm. and one of the officers said, oh, go get the K-12, we'll cut the lock. And I was like, time out. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, but just little moments like that. At the moment, you know, the moth to the flame, if you haven't sat and really had explained to you how freaking dangerous that is. Stay off know, the gravel, stay away from anything that's metal, just it's fine. Let exactly. it burn. It's just look at it. You're not going to put it out until you turn off the power. <laughs> just so. look at it. Yes. Admire it from <laughs> afar. <laughs> so well, I'd love to talk about CrossFit. I think your first workout was exactly the same as mine. I actually wrote about it in the, the book I gave you. Um, but prior to that, being, you know, a young athlete, as you said, you know, the Ohio sports that you were doing or mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was your introduction to the fitness, like the tactical athlete side of the departments that you worked at before you discovered CrossFit? All right. Um, no more than by accident, I think that, uh, so that journey that we discussed earlier in this podcast, um, so it was the football kind of environment, you know, weight room, um, as a lineman, you know, I got into a lot of, you know, grimy kind of, gym steel plate squatting lifting kind of the bodybuilder-esque stuff um but as i got into the recruit class and the fire side of it and everything else i i end up finding this need for um you know kind of this this running this training elements that are you know a little more dynamic and stuff which i'd already done anyway you know i'd ran and stuff you know i'd go out and go for runs and stuff it was all natural to me it was easy for me um but that, I think, you know, getting into the fire service um, and, and those early moments kind of pulled me into a place where it changed my, my, my track for fitness. It wasn't that it was changing me to a tactical athlete or CrossFit because that didn't exist then or that wasn't the thing. Um, but I got into the 
the the long slow distance world i got into um adventure racing i got into um uh triathlons i got into ironmans i got into a whole another stint of time in my life where i just wanted to punish myself i think that's why i look back and think why did you want to do so many hours of such hard stuff but um there was a long period of time that you know just before crossfit and even a little bit into that 2005 you know early crossfit for me um that was long slow distance um still maintain a little bit of the weight training but uh yeah, I really got into um, marathon training, Ironmans, triathlons, and that stuff. Is there an element of the motivation to push yourself like that coming from the realization that people's lives depend on your performance? Uh, not then, but after <laughs> I got into it, seriously, I'm just being honest, not then at that moment because I just didn't know. Right. You know, you were, what is that? Uh, there's that, 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 that kind of like three part phrase. I was, uh, um, unconsciously incompetent, you know, I didn't know that I really needed to be like that. You know, I thought I was, you know, like in the academy and stuff, you know, I was one of the better students, you know, cause it's just, I had, I had a balance of everything and, and I thought, you know, fit and young and useful and I could do whatever I want. And it was just my, I could make my body do whatever needed to be done. You tell me to do that. I'll do that. Um, but I didn't really realize, you know, the importance of the impact it would have and how, how important it was on, you know, the outcome or the task at the moment or, you know, maybe it was selfishness. I don't know. But that at that point, I didn't really realize. But very early on in the career department side of it, it was super obvious. And then then when I felt the dosing of CrossFit and I felt intensity and I had more experience in that because maybe I had intensity in the long, slow distance, but it wasn't the same as the intensity that I felt with CrossFit and I didn't really, I didn't really correlate the two the same and the work task stuff from firefighting. I didn't really, I didn't put it together. I didn't put the direct connection together, but pretty quickly on early in my career, I was like, okay, this is familiar enough with what that cross fitness, that CrossFit fitness was that I experienced to now in a training moment, not necessarily in a real live fire, but sometimes it would rear its head a little bit. Now that's very familiar. This is, there's a connection there. So at some point I start, some point I do remember distinctly like trying to make connection. Well, this is as direct to work as it can be. Absolutely. So it was, yeah, I think it just got brighter in here. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, I think, think, think the light bulb, <laughs> like the light bulb shined there again. We go. <laughs> but no, there was, there was a moment um, I was like, okay, yes, this is, I'm replicating something here in training that is very directly commiserate with what my job task is. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I'd been a firefighter a couple of years when a friend of mine, Neil, told me about this thing that he was doing and he, you know, was definitely looking fitter than he used to. And again, like I said, I wrote the whole story in the book, but I think I'm almost certain it was Helen. It was Helen. That's the <laughs> run, pull up, swings. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, I'd love to hear about your introduction. We did it <laughs> as RX, like in a way it was supposed to be done with the intensity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Jesus Christ, that was horrific. But you know, as, <laughs> as you know, I tell people like you go one of two routes with that. You have a lot of people that would shy away from it. And then you have police, fire, military, like that was awful. Let's do it again. And that's kind of the route it sent me down. And then there were many, many times where 
in my career, I saw my friends who, you know, were in good shape as well, but didn't do like, for example, that kind of training. And they were just spent in a fire and you'd be able to do that extra bit of work. So I definitely saw the translation. So talk to me about your Helen, um, the misinterpretation. And then, you know, when you finally kind of started really jumping in with both feet. It was a misinterpretation. That is a very good term right there. You know what's what you want to hear some irony? Yes. They can't see this, but behind me right now is a wall. And on the other side of that wall is where our original gym was at this building. That was where my first CrossFit workout was. Oh, really? I am literally 30 feet right now from my first workout. Perfect. And one of my good (laughs) friends that's here on the department was the one who was just like, what are we going to do today? And he just jumps in for anything anyway. So we jumped into it and decided to do it. Got online, saw this little workout thing, this little blog thing, classic, I guess, in, in the old school version, OGs and stuff. That's the classic way people found CrossFit. You know, here's the blog, you know, read this. That's where I found uh, it. Yeah. So well, we, after, <laughs> after being told about it. Yeah. 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 I just went to the blog. Um, we saw the movement patterns, which we were comfortable. We knew, you know, all right, 400 meters. Yeah. That's a lap around a track. All right. We'll go run that around the station, you know. All right. Pull ups. Yeah. We got pull ups. They were strict because we didn't know any other version other than just strict pull ups. And this kettlebell swing thing or whatever. It's like, all right. Well, we don't have kettlebells and stuff. So we just picked up a dumbbell. There was a little tutorial something, you know, maybe Tony Budding or somebody put out a little video and it showed swinging a dumbbell, you know. So we grasped the middle of the dumbbell. We swung a dumbbell um one problem though is that this is such funny (laughs) i'll tell the story on myself um it's already out there anyway um we literally broke up the three movements as individual things so we went out we jogged together and we came back in all right you do some pull-ups i'll do some pull-ups how many are we supposed to do all right we did that then we get to the the kettlebell swing part and we're like all right we're gonna do it like this and we we like each had our own little dumbbell and we swang it's like now what are we supposed to do now so let's go for a run we did not put the timing thing together we 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 probably should have paid attention to the blog a little more and understood what we we're getting into we just looked at it as like you know three movement patterns x amount of rounds you know just just do the work so we got done we kind of like you know how long did i take us oh you know you know 15 20 minutes whatever it was at the time you know it was an expansive amount of time um and then we go back and look at people you know posting times and the blogs and scores like how the f- did they do that so fast? So then where it's like, oh, you're supposed to just rip at it, you know, as fast as you can. But like we're transitioning from inside the middle of a fire station, down hallways, out a door, through a bay. Like it was none of it was like put together like it was supposed to. But it was fun enough. The stimulus was fun enough for us. We're like, you know, that was cool. We did it. We did it hard enough for us in that moment for the first time that we felt like, you know, we got something out of it. I was like, all right, you know. So fast forward, we're just like, do it again, you know, and that wasn't that same day, but, you know, do it again, follow along. And then there's a whole nother tangent of story, how I got deeper into it. But it, that was it though. That was the hook. Um, we didn't fight very hard as the fisherman was trying to reel us into the CrossFit boat and that, <laughs> but you know, we, we pretty much, that was enough to hook us like, you know, and at that time too, just completely beat down and bored with you know, long, slow distance and looking down at pavement and setting on a bike or lifting in a gym. It was just the doldrum of that is just, oh, I, it's still just I, I've I've had enough of that in my lifetime. I just it just I could never see myself going back to any of those things. Now, did you have any kind of aha moments? I mean, like I said, there's one specific fire I can remember where you really saw on the fire ground the 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 crossover of that type of training on your performance 
I won't say an aha moment. I will say a, and I'll argue, I'll debate with you. More importantly, I saw a consistency over all fires, over all training, mm-hmm. especially as a company officer and everything else, like operating at a, at a, faster pace more work done than most but still had clarity for decisions and can communicate and and outwork my peers on all fires on all that that's that together all of that that linear moment attached from event to event to event from train 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 from fire 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 that's what made me feel like okay so mine's all connected. It's not one event, but that would be my most classic example of aha. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I remember another fire I had, we, we, we were the first in, it was in our, our first due. And then all the incoming units were held out by a God knows how many long, you know, freight train that cut right through the city of Orlando. And so they were <laughs> not coming anytime <laughs> soon. We were a three man rig. My LT was doing the size up. My engineer was at the panel. And it was down this long lane to even get to the to the house. So it was me, you know, the lines, the supply, I mean, everything, the hydrant, you name it. And at the end of it, I was like, you know, same thing. And so it was that, it was Anaheim. It was just, it carried on. So I agree completely. You know, it's not like, I've got some amazing story of climbing some insane high rise, but I never, ever felt like I was spent. I was tired. I was hot. That was the big thing. But yeah, I never felt like it was any ever any worse than any other CrossFit workout I'd done prior to that. Yeah, and it and it's and it and it would it's always been noticed too. I mean, even you know, the crews, my peers, and everybody else is like, I get this. You know, I've had this. You know, oh Johnny Mac and his fitness or whatever it is and stuff. It's it's become a little bit of a thing, um, but it's also noticed too. It's like you know. You, they can see your performance ability. They can see what it is you're able to do and stuff. So I hope that from a leadership perspective, you know, carries, I know it has actually for us, you know, we're, our department is progressive. We have solid leadership Our administration supports us a great deal, um, for health, fitness, uh, mental health across the board. Um, we have a lot of great equipment at our disposal. Um, you know, we, we train all the time. Um, so that's, that's carried all the way through to our brand new people that are just starting again. We have another group starting this week, so they're all in it. Beautiful. Well, I'd love to hear about the progressive side then. Um, before we do, what what have you seen as, <laughs> as far as the, uh, the landscape of fitness in the fire service? And I'll put my kind of two cents. To me, I have, you know, special operations people on here, even lifeguards, which I forgot, which I was a lifeguard for many years, that we're held to a standard every year, swim tests and all that stuff. But, Every fire department I've worked at, good and bad, none of us were held to a physical standard. And there's an argument definitely for, well, if you have the right group of people, you don't need to have a standard. They'll just, you know, take care of their own strength and conditioning. Um, but I see a an, an kind of absence and even sometimes a resistance by many, not only administrations, but unions to a standard being set. So I'll just open the door for you to walk in with whatever perspective you have. Softball, man. Super easy. Uh, we, <laughs> we literally, if that, that, the, uh, 
So that television screen here to our immediate side here is a, uh, so we have a, a rolling queue of information that flows through there. Um, and one of the things on there is our, is our recent physical ability test. Um, so now we have an established physical ability test that's performed annually. Um, we have a benchmark time that must be completed, everybody. Um, and then now after this progression has taken multiple years to get the entire department to this place that even within our contract, um, our negotiated union contract, um, you have to meet this time or else you're placed onto, um, a, uh, an opportunity to work towards improving your fitness and your nutrition and everything until you can such time finish the physical ability test within this validated time for the entire department. Um, and this is not, uh, you know, this was, wasn't a, uh, this wasn't an overnight. This was years. We had the, we had the test in this beta slash kind of, um, you know, everyone needs to attempt it opportunity for, for multiple years so that, uh, you know, we can build into the confidence and, um, and the department culture a little bit. And then now very recently, as of this year, um, we've just completed, um, our first year of it as a requirement. Um, which has been very good. And then part of the, the background to having the test as a requirement is that every month part of our training is that we have a very expansive, such an expansive, um, programming, uh, available to us for all of our fitness, which begins from a program warm up through a workout, through a cool down, through stretching, um, all given to us in video format by, you know, some, some, some really well educated, well experienced strength conditioning, PT, um, extensive background, um, people that have, that have been contracted for the department to provide all this resource to us. Um, and the one thing that shows up on the board is that that physical ability test is that I didn't know they were going to do it, but they did it. And it kind of surprised me um, for the entire department. The uh, the fastest time was two minutes and 50 seconds for this physical ability test. What does it look like? What are the events? Um, so there uh, there's there's a third party company that we contracted. We brought them in to be part of the uh, um, the testing um, and they helped develop the test. And and it's it's weight and measure of all of our equipment. It's a survey of the area that we support supply uh, 911 service to our buildings. I mean, it's super comprehensive. So I think it's really cool. So it's it's as close to department specific, I think, as you can get. So that was really good. Um, but it begins with some of the classic things. So it begins with a, uh, an inch three quarter hose drag, um, walk over to a prop, pick up a, uh, um, a, uh, 16 foot, uh, roof ladder, carry it to a location, pick up a hose, climb five stories, um, come down from the hose, do a crawl up and over an obstacle, under an obstacle, go to a, uh, a prop that, uh, that kind of would directly reflect work with a uh, pike pole for overhaul and then drag a dummy. The whole time, full gear, PPE, on air, you know the works. Um, combat challenge esque, mm-hmm. but not exactly, but very, very similar, to, very similar enough that you would recognize it. But it's all at our department with our equipment based on our stuff, and the entire department have gone through it multiple times. And then we get an aggregate average of you know times, and then we establish a base time and stuff. So you said 250. 250. Who, who was that? That was me. <laughs> and how old are you again? <laughs> 53. <laughs> and you are which rank? Uh, battalion chief. All right. I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, they, that was, they, they did that. And I think they did that to mess with some people too, but it, it did. Well, that's leading from the front though. And I think that's just it. Surprising to me. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. 250. What's that kind of genre fall into? What workouts do you think about? Oh, like Fran. Well, other people doing Fran, not me. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so it's crazy, right? Yes. Yeah. And and it feels exactly the same. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I had Fran cough when I was done in the works. It was, it's, it's a blast. It's, it's sub three minutes of just goes pretty much as hard as you can. You're not allowed to run. There's a couple restrictions and stuff, but you are moving hard and fast. Yeah. But good. No, that's amazing to hear. But one, one more thing on that before we kind of transition to the CrossFit space more. When, cause you've obviously been here a while now, what was the paradigm shift that began that process? Cause I think there's a lot of argument with, you know, annual standards. Oh, you're mm-hmm. just looking to, you know, yeah. you're just looking to fire us all. It's like, no, you know, there's a, there's certain phases. And like you said, that then there's, there's mitigation to try and get people who have found themselves, you know, deconditioned because I talk about this all the time. Our environment, our shift work is designed to destroy us. Oh. So that's absolutely a part of it. But, if you start today, five plus years from now, you could actually have these in place and have made everyone healthier, have higher performance, more longevity, pre and post retirement. Um, so what, what initiated this incredible initiative? All right. So, um, uh, one thing that I will, that I'll, I'll brag about with the department is that, um, we are a, a younger department. If you look at like tenure of like, you know, our city is not really that old i think our, our city was founded in 68 oh wow so this this area palm beach gardens um is 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 a younger you know city as it goes municipalities go so um so we came into it with a uh um with a with a younger more i think modern take you know in a sense um so i think that helped us greatly um i also think that uh you know, there, there was a time that, you know, it was kind of, as you just kind of mentioned, you know, there was a, there was a resistive and, a, and an old school mentality and a like, you know, you're going to fire us. And like, you know, this is, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I want to be a fireman. I'm not here to worry about my fitness. Um, there was, there was periods of that and, and people that were, were, were part of that. But, um, in all, um, the, the most supportive thing was is that we started out as a young department with younger people that actually um, we didn't have any bad habits or, or uphill battles. So that's unique to us. And I understand that. Um, and I've been involved with a lot of this with a lot of other departments, you know, in many ways. So I've seen some of the uphill battles they have just because of the, in the presence establishment of what's there. Uh, but there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of, fight to get it to where it is helped us greatly uh and i think the the timing of um not only crossfit because i exposed to this department very very early so i brought crossfit to this department a long time ago so once i had my moment and i was here at the department it it followed along with um my time in training the department and being involved deeply with all the training and uh, I did all the new hire recruitment training for, for almost a, more than a decade here. So most of the people right now that are in this department, I was their first exposure and their first training. Um, that was all part of it. Um, so the whole culture kind of like just just followed along over 
you said four years, five years. It's been 10 years, 12 years, 15 years of us building this culture, um, having that be part of just what we do all the time with training and exposure to other kinds of fitness than just classic strength and conditioning or just running. Um, so yeah, so concurrent with CrossFit in a way, um, not a lot of things in, in, in our, in our way. We are pretty lucky. Um, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it in five years. You have to look at it culturally. Um, cause it's not going to work from a guideline or being told to, it has to be a cultural shift. It has to be something that, you know, that, that has, uh, buy-in is not my most favorite word, but people have to want to do it for the right reasons. And sometimes they don't know what those are. So you can show them, you can let them feel it. You can let them see it. And that's probably tangible enough and then let it just grow. I had the opportunity to PT the last higher class that was there when my last department before I transitioned out. And prior to that, the word had been, because I experienced it, so they're absolutely right, that you basically come along, you get to, you know, you do the HR stuff, you drive around at protected theme parks, you go ride rides, and <laughs> that was it. Well, then they showed up for this time round, and no, it wasn't. And it wasn't to, like, deliberately be a dick and beat people up, yeah, 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 but yeah, we yeah. did, you know, a lot of, like, strongman movements, it's sleds and sandbags and kettlebells, and so CrossFit and strongman kind of combined the last, like, the pinnacle of the... The time I trained them, I took up a 28-story high-rise that we had next to the station in gear. I had all my gear and I think a hose pack and led from the front. And, you know, it was just, yeah, this is day one. This is the standard of this new group that come in. Now, I've, I don't know if that culture has remained. I think a couple of the key players that were there as well aren't anymore. But um, that seems to me like the the you know the one big thing if the new people coming in is like this is normal then they go to their stations they're like wait a second i thought that was normal and hopefully they can be the dynamos in those stations as well along with you know the other generations where they have got go-getters um that does seem to be a, a force multiplier but relying on like you said administration or even unions in a lot of departments is you know it's going to be more resistance than there is encouragement no no and and again most of us don't like to be told what to do you know we'll we'll quietly or maybe subtly objectively you know follow along or do whatever it is but i mean we've got to want to do it and that's the key you've got to you got to have the want and desire and again even back at the company level and i was still a company officer and stuff you know if you're in there with them and somebody on the crew is the catalyst, you know, like, hey, it could be at any rank. Somebody is at the cast like, hey, let's go do this. You know, that fun, excited one that just gets everybody kind of motivated. Next thing you know, you lace together four or five shifts of doing it and then it becomes the normal. You know, that just becomes what we do every shift. All right, when are we going to go work out? When are we going to do this? What are we doing today? So it just becomes the normal. And it takes a little bit of time. But then if that, again, force multiplier, every station, every shift, you know, then I, I hope that's a softball pitch for admin just to, you know, put it together and support us, get us the right kind of equipment. And, you know, yeah, we'll take your test and do your physical ability and be a great part of it. Exactly. And we'll love it. Absolutely. Well, with the CrossFit side, um, I like, I started, I, I always forget, it's like, oh, oh, I think it was right around 06. So initially, you know, being shown by a guy that was actually at a gym. And then after I left Anaheim, I was basically back to the main site and, you know, being looked at in the YMCA while I'm upside down <laughs> and swinging things around and dying on the floor. Um, and then I got into, finally got into a box and became a coach. Um, 
And so over, you know, that period of time, I've seen, you know, the ups and downs, some makes mistakes that we've made as coaches, um, you know, the egos of some of the, the members and how that has led to some of the CrossFit fails that we see on YouTube. So you found yourself, you know, not only getting into the competitive side, but even becoming part of the management, the competitive side. What have you seen as far as the journey through an athlete and a coach's eyes of the kind of metamorphosis and the teething troubles of, of CrossFit and the general population? That's a big question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, feels like a, it feels like a really big question. Um, there's a lot of history there. Uh, okay, so uh, I think I could kind of answer this one. I'll, I'll put it together this way. Um, so as in the fire service, I was very fortunate to have, I spent time at every rank. I climbed the ladder, you know, I was a firefighter. I was a paramedic, fire medic. I was a driver. I was a lieutenant. I was a captain. I was a battalion. So I got to spend time in every position. The same in CrossFit. I've, I've got to, I've been fortunate enough, luckily enough, because I know it was at the time, it was just luck. There's no other reason for it. Um, to be, have the opportunity to be in every kind of position in CrossFit from, um, just a, you know, dot com athlete, um, to walking in one of the first gyms here locally in 2006 here in Jupiter actually was a gym doing CrossFit, um, to taking my L1 in 2007, to becoming a trainer in that gym in 2007, um, to working on the seminar staff, traveling the seminars in 2008 and on, um, Becoming, I was a, I got to experience the games as an athlete, the CrossFit games as an athlete in Aromas. Um, I got to compete. Um, and then we started into the side of sport, um, to be a, um, a, a very early regional director, one of the first regional directors, and then to help to run the sport as an event. So I've had, I wore the hat of a coach. I wore the hat as a seminar trainer. I wore the hat as a judge, as an athlete, as a, as an organizer. So I've got to see a lot of, of, of the CrossFit space and in all aspects of it. Never owned a gym, worked at a bunch of gyms as, as trainers and coach, but never owned a gym. That's one thing I never was. I never was, I was never an affiliate owner. Um, so I've seen a, there's been a lot of maturing going on. There's one thing, you know, I think if the question is directed now towards what have I seen or what, what is, what has been some of the, the biggest things, you know, throughout all those times, um, there's been a lot of maturing going on. Um, you talked about your, your class that you kind of ran. You didn't give them a beat down, you know, uh, my early experience at CrossFit, it was kind of a fight club beat down on each other. That's pretty much all we did, you know, program the hardest little workout to the redundancy of stuff that we were just good at and just beat each other up on the constant. Um, I've really seen a lot of um, influx and, uh, and maturity and truly bringing some really um, in, in intelligent, actionable um, uh, experience. A lot of smart people into the space everyone in all places even us even us within crossfit and stuff you know um there's been a, a great maturity and a progression which uh so i think that's what i've seen yeah. a lot from a, and a and in a lot of different places too everywhere a lot of maturity absolutely for me just through my own eyes you know seeing it appears like the true greats from olympic lifting from gymnastics from endurance i had chris hinshaw on the show for example you know there's uh, um chad olympic chad um you know it's now getting 
these people coming in and really teaching us the whys. And then as, as athletes, I remember early, early on, I mean, sorry, as coaches, you know, it was cues. Well, now mm -hmm. you're getting people talking, well, wait a second. You, you can't cue someone's muscle imbalances. Let's talk about imbalances. Let's talk about rehab. Let's talk about injuries. So, you know, I've seen this, this kind of Pandora's box open up in, in the greatest ways. And the same with what used to be the athlete that would come in and immediately want to do butterfly pull-ups, which I to this day can't stand because um, <laughs> I don't compete, um, you know, to actually, like, all right, and these coaches that have the strength now to say, no, get yeah. down off the bar. Let's do ring rows. You see, you can't even do 10 of those. You're not ready for, you know what I mean? And having that understanding yeah. of building the machine that is the human body and then if they want to compete, you know, then giving them the tools. But that that ego as a coach, that ego as an athlete, I think that's one thing that I, I've noticed everyone's getting better at. People aren't walking in wanting to be Rich Froning anymore and, and the coaches are able to kind of reel people in and really kind of understand the, the longevity piece versus the performance piece. Do you think that uh, we would be where we are today if we hadn't had that uh, that difficult time? That gritty time, that 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 steep learning curve time? Do you... I think it was unavoidable because of the, the immense growth that happened. It outrun everyone's experience unless you were, you know, a gymnast slash Olympic lifter. The rest of us were brought up in the, you know, bodybuilding world or endurance world and were good at that one little thing. But I mean, how many, how many people that were personal trainers truly knew how to do a snatch before CrossFit came along? You know what I mean? So yeah, I think it was, it was unavoidable and sadly, you know, there are some injuries out there that are a result of it, but I mean, they're truly not that frequent. Um, I think another thing is as a reflection of how fragile human beings have become in the luxury of modern life. And I think CrossFit exposed that too. Like our bodies weren't able to do some of the things that we should have been able to do. And then learning about those imbalances, about the, you know, what sitting does to you, what inactivity does to you. Um, you know, that was another learning curve that we had to navigate to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think those, uh, those useful years of being out there kind of just wild, wild west style and stuff, you know, it was impactful for now, you know, um, especially those of us who got to see it all and stuff. So yeah, super impactful. So I think, yeah, I think that was a necessary piece of the whole thing, you know, and now maybe 10 years from now, you know, we go back and look at it and I'm sure there'll be a, another thrust or catalyst forward from where we are, where we sit right now. Um, you know, in a super positive sense too. Very optimistic about that future. Um, that I think, yeah, that'd be really cool to see. Absolutely. Now, one more area I want to touch on before we go to some closing questions. Um, you have a unique lens, like a lot of, you know, first responders who are also in, you know, the training space, the wellness space. This last almost two years now, me personally, this is my, my perspective. I have seen a, 99.9% .9 of discussions be on vaccinations, on masks and all that stuff, and the underlying physical mental health of the population be almost like vilified. How dare you bring up obesity? You know, we're talking about a virus. So this isn't a political thing at all, but with, you know, the CrossFit, you know, Coach Glasman for a while now did kind of shift the focus to wellness. And we started seeing, you know, videos with the elderly and, you know, with uh, water jugs and that kind of thing. So what has been your perspective of um, just the overall health of the nation and what is kind of CrossFit's lens on 
educating underlying health because clearly you know the governing bodies that we pay billions of dollars <laughs> don't seem to be doing that much about it so you know but i know they they talk about nutrition they talk about fitness so you know has there has there been any discussion on on uh pandemic aside but just on on the overall improving the overall wellness of countries around the world yes so um so i was speaking to somebody the other day and they didn't feel well and guess what? They had the flu. So um, obesity hasn't gone away. Diabetes, the flu, everyday cold. Um, it hasn't gone away. It's still there. But boy, has the light shifted and, you know, the, the attention has shifted. Um, and I think uh, very fortunately... Um, I don't think that at CrossFit, you know, we have gone away from health either. Um, yeah, there was a, a, a reorganizational time, um, you know, and we're in a new era. And, uh, I do know for a fact that, uh, um, you know, there is a, a, a lot of, of work being done. Um, and I'd like to only speak of, of what we are doing now, um, as, see what we're doing, you know, pay attention, watch what we're doing. Sometimes it's more difficult, you know, to say what we're going to do or say what we're doing. Um, I do like to say, you know, just, just point and look and see what we're doing. Um, you know, um, nutrition has come back online, uh, for an offering for CrossFit. Um, there's, um, a lot of elements of, of health and wellness that are all part of, um, you know, what you will see at, events even that we are part of um so i think that uh you know see what we're doing and watch and it's still just important it didn't go away flu is still there obesity yeah. still there diabetes is still there hypertension is still there didn't go away well, and, and neither did it for us no and that's the thing that's the problem with you know with it's crazy when you think about people oh, name name some famous firefighters outside of the crossfit space where i can name matt chan and rich froding and some other ones sam briggs um you know who's who's our voice you know who is our jocko willing there isn't one you know but think about the lens that a firefighter a paramedic a dispatcher a police officer has on society like the general public thinks well i go to my doctor i get my blood pressure pills and my stat you know whatever and i'm gonna be okay the paramedic sees the person who's 51 with a sack full of meds tens of thousands of dollars full of pills and you're still holding a yellow sheet over their head so we get to see behind the facade behind the curtain that is the ill health of this nation so i think it's important for our community in general to be one of the voices to be like listen this you know people are dying from all these things and yes this is one of them but also you know the outcome i think would have been so much smaller had we had let's say a Scandinavian style population, the fitter, you know, healthier men and women. But here, you know, if we're not talking parallel with the virus about the obesity epidemic and diabetes and hypertension and also immune disease, then we're missing, you know, 95% of the, the pie as it were. Yeah, absolutely. I use the, uh, the, the conversation about the flu as, as a, as from a friend perspective, but our, our calls haven't changed either. You know, our calls have not changed. It's, it's still the, yeah, the, the, the less than 50 year old heart attack 
you know, I mean, that call has transpired here not that long ago. Um, and that's not uncommon. Um, you know, so those are, those are things we do see every day. Um, difficult to find the right forum to, to share that. I think it's really difficult. So that is a little uphill struggle that we're going to have for, for probably ever. You know, we could have voices, but I mean, it's different from actually seeing it and working it, which by itself is its own thing. You know, we, we can go off on a tangent and start getting to that part of it. But, you know, it's 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 it it's it's the it's difficult to share how much of that that, you know, that we know and see, um, you know, because it's our work, but it's not what everybody gets exposed to, you know. So, yeah. Keep well, talking about that. Yeah. Please. Oh, trust me. Please. <laughs> there's there's lots, of, <laughs> lots of conversations on deck, as they say. Yeah. But one more thing before I get to closing questions. I want to make no. sure we do touch on. All the time. <laughs> um, you mentioned about, obviously, the psychology background of your mother. Um, so now in 2021, as we sit here, um, we talked about the physical health of your department. Talk to me about the mental health side. You know, what, what kind of, what has been the metamorphosis of that not only and maybe some of the struggles you've seen in the men and women you work alongside but also the tools you're able to bring them um again i mean i hope a lot of people do get to hear this podcast um i really do um we're very fortunate here and i know that um we have at our disposal at any time i would say start with their classic the employee assistance program, which is most municipal and county governments have at their disposal. Um, I think it's almost a default. Um, so we have those available to us. Um, but that, that is just the tip of the iceberg for what our department has been able to provide for us. Um, we have peer support groups. Um, we have, uh, you know, at the, at the, at the call, critical instance stress debriefing teams. Um, we have a culture and this is the biggest part. Um, we have a culture that is, laid down almost parallel tracks with the fitness um us really developing a culture that hey how are you doing today talk to me you seem a little bit off literally just today one of our uh, rescue lieutenants out of the blue pulled me aside and says you look tired today what's wrong what's going on that conversation happened today that to me was an aha moment of like, that's what our culture is. And that's what it should be. You know, there should be no taboo. There should be nothing wrong with if you have an instinctive moment and you see somebody that just looks a little bit different or down, or maybe you just know something about what's going on in their life and you're just concerned about them. Call them, talk to them, just ask them. And she just literally just asked me what's going on. The truth of it is, small holiday party last night. I'm a little tired. <laughs> I got this dude <laughs> showing there, up there with microphones. <laughs> there wasn't a bunch of there wasn't a bunch of drinking. It was just I just I was just up late, you know, so I didn't get my normal sleep, you know, my sleep pattern was off a little bit. So I was just a little tired. Um the station is kind of is is temperature as an ice box, you know, we're both sitting there wearing hoodies. Yes, I'm just cold. Like a, so I'm just I'm just outside, you know, just trying to warm up and I'm just being like kind of somber. I'm just being quiet. And that's not normal. That's not my normal. Which I get it. I understand that. So it wasn't my normal. And she, and she and it just instinctively picked up on it. But our culture is that you, you talk and you ask things. Um, there's, there's images behind us on this wall right now that, that, you know, that, that talk about, you know, our department and, you know, and things that, you know, I could probably recognize that, you know, would lend me towards, you know, it's not the see, say, do something kind of, you know, other version that, people have out there for you know serious emergencies and 
you know, it's, it's just us and talk to your fellow firefighters, ask them what's going on in their life, reach out, open the dialogue and don't be scared. You know, don't be scared to talk about it. Absolutely. God, the freaking human machoism ego thing. Fuck. I know. We got to get past that one, man. I talk we've, about we've that. We've got a lot. to get past that ego thing. Luckily, I think, I think there really is that, I think that has, that has finally, in my experience, changed with the, the newest generations coming into the fire departments. I, we're getting rid of some of those old schoolers that didn't have that. They just, that just wasn't them. I understand it. The ego thing was so big. I think we're finally getting away from, you know, where the ego would restrict or halt or slow somebody to really talk about what they're feeling or what they're, what's going on. Yeah. I hope. God, I hope. Yeah. Well, I've said this a few times now on here, but I think it's worth saying again because you don't never know who's going to listen. But the way I look at our generation, the way we raised, um, the kind of, you know, what a man was supposed to be. And I was very, very lucky. My dad was, you know, a gentle soul. He's a horse and, and small animal veterinarian. So oh, and yeah. he was a, he was a carer and he wasn't like a rugged dude, but I mean, he had like freaking forearms like Popeye. So he's certainly <laughs> a, you know, strong man, but you know, look at the, the TV, you know, just Rambo and Robocop and Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. and all this stuff, you know, and this facade of masculinity, you know, and people say about toxic masculinity, it's really toxic element of it is the facade that we were given. Um, and you look at, the yin yang and i apologize people heard me rattle this off before but you know you got the yin which is the i believe the soft part which is actually the black and then you've got the yang which is hard which is white and it's the soft part that brought you and i into this profession that we wanted to serve we want to make things better maybe i'm sure some of the things you saw even in the hurricane made you want to serve in that different capacity but then you get in and you're this manly or you know womanly firefighter and yes uh, on scenes when you make an entry to a bomb burner you have to be in that flow state and that's your hard side. That's when you're actually, you know, having, needing the courage and the bravery. And that's, you know, a singular thought at that moment. But the problem is we believe that we're just a big white circle. We're all <laughs> yang and no yin, yeah. you know, versus after that, you're like, God, I shit myself in that fire. I was terrified. <laughs> and or you saw something horrific, which I wrote about in the book too, you know, now you have to be compassionate towards each other and you have to be compassionate towards yourself too. So that facade of just being all hard and no soft negates the very reason why you even came into this profession at the moment. But so many of our generation believe that and they buy into it and they think that everyone else is doing fine and they think that they're the weak ones. So if they just hide it and bury it down, that no one will notice. And then sadly, as we see, sometimes that becomes a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. So yeah, so I hope the, uh, the ego and the, the balance comes back to the yin yang for sure. Absolutely. Well, did you, have you seen, because obviously a lot of the workouts are, you know, they bring people together, you do it as a crew. And I saw that in the last two departments. I was the first, I was not the first, but I was the only guy out in the bay doing these workouts. And then both, both times in both these departments, as the weeks went on, one person would start joining, then two. And then by the end, I have my own crew and I take days off and I come in to grab my gear and they would be working out without me. So oh, that's, that's awesome. beautiful. Um, but I found that that was very bonding. I found that post-exercise, there was a lot of community then too. Do you see a parallel between 
training, working out as a crew, eating as a crew, and that culture and be able to speak to each other. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the, it's the catalyst moment when, um, some of the walls are down and, uh, we're just being straight up social firefighters. I mean, social butterflies that we are. Um, there's the, there's the banter. Um, there's the, the, the positive hazing, the, the, the messing with each other in, 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 in a supportive yeah. way. Yeah. Um, like I, one thing I've always said, and this is still true to this day, I feel agree or disagree. I, I'll ask, uh, that's the, uh, that's the response I'm looking for. There's that, um, if they are messing with you, if they are razzing you, if they are, if they are putting the energy into you to, to mess with you, they like, you. they like you. Mm-hmm. If they don't, they don't like you. You're just, you're not worth the effort for them to, 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 to actually, to engage in you that way. Uh, so yeah, so I think that's a big part of it, but also those, in those environments, you know, post training, formal training, um, post fitness, pre fitness, during fitness, um, and even on calls, uh, we do a, we always do like a, a, a hot washer tailboard after all of our calls and stuff. Um, so it's another opportunity for us to talk about the call and maybe something does come up then, but, um, it just takes down some of those walls because, uh, we're, we're in a natural community environment where we're, it's easier for us to talk. So those are super important. And, and I've been in thousands of those moments and yes, I've seen that transpire and come out just naturally because the opportunity was there. Beautiful. Love it. All right. Well, then one more kind of like topic just before we, we go to the end. Tell me about your role now in, in the CrossFit game space. And then what have people got to look forward to that might be unique in this next games next year? Ooh. That you can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my, my current role is that, uh, um, so I, it's a dynamic place. Um, and I'm super fortunate and extremely happy to be working and having the opportunities that I have. Um, my, my, my current focus, um, within the company and stuff is, is all the live events. Um, so, um, that would go anywhere from in the games qualifying season, the, the semifinal events. So, uh, um, communicating and, and developing and, and putting together the, the semifinal season and those events. Um, and then into, um, the games themselves, um, a, a big role with all of the staffing, um, and logistics as far as, you know, the competition. Um, I've always said that, uh, my, my biggest role is to get the field of play ready to go for the competition and then hand it off to judges, athletes, and broadcast. And then I'm moving forward to the next event venue to get it ready for competition then hand it off to the judges, the athletes and broadcast, to, you know, to compete and to tell the story and to have a, a fair, great competition. Um, you know, I'm given direction to, you know, what is transpiring on those fields. And, you know, I put all the pieces together to make that happen. Um, so that's kind of my role and, and some of my big responsibilities and what I'm working on the most. Um, and there's some other things that, you know, that falls into as you would with any, large company of our size there's a bunch of other things licensing of events um is really important and and something i get to work on which is amazing so there's a lot of other events out there that put on amazing competitions um and uh and 
all those events that, uh, you know, are affiliate based and run and, you know, many of the same athletes that are at our events or at those events and the, 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 the staff that runs them are our events. So it's, you know, to, to help license them and make those events better and, and allow them to use, you know, the, the flag of CrossFit for their event is, is really important too. So, um, I get to do a lot of work with that also. So I get to connect with all of these, you know, live events all over the world. Super fun, super exciting. Um, what's coming up for the games? Another dynamic, great season. <laughs> There's been a lot of discussion out there. And again, I'm not going to, uh, you know, um, distill like information that's not out there, but you know, that, uh, you know, there's information out there of, you know, of, of the games, you know, is in Madison now and, you know, where the future of the games could be or would be, you know, so that's, there's a lot of talk out there about that, which is really exciting. Um, I remember when the games went from Aromas to Carson and from a Carson to Madison and back to Aromas. I mean, changing the venue or the location or the landscape. That's crazy exciting because well, I think, and I feel we've already got, I mean, we've got iconic images of the ranch. We've got iconic images of Carson and, you know, the stub hub, you know, Home Depot Center. And then we've got now I think we've actually got iconic images of, you know, of Madison, you know, so we've had those big moments in all those places. Well, there's a new one about to happen, you know, some place and some time we are moving the games and it's going to go to a new location. And so we've got a whole nother myriad of images now to come at a new iconic location, a new way to test athletes, you know, not such a new way to test athletes, but, it, but in a new environment to test athletes and just how that brings, you know, so much excitement. And so, uh, I didn't tell you anything. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't share anything, but I also, I'm just, but I'm just, sow some seeds. Uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like, I'm just, I'm just feeling that. I'm really feeling that. And again, that's, that's my passion though too. I, I am, I am, I am part of the live event side for, for the sport of CrossFit because that's what I really love. I love, you know, out there, um, leading seven, 800 volunteers and, you know, we're applying IMS to the, uh, it's, it's nothing more than a command presence out there just to get all these teams to work together to complete all these tasks. And uh, like, it's a huge, you know, deployment. Um, and it's amazing and fun. And so I get to, you know, we get to see some new landscapes in. So beautiful fired up. Well, they just built an insane equestrian facility in Ocala massive. It's called the world equestrian center. I mean, I don't even know how many, you probably can't even measure it in square feet. It's probably acres, literally. Wow. It's insane. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if that becomes a venue for anything like that in the future. But, uh, um, it, I had Dave Castro on. It was episode 414. Um, and, you know, I know that, like you said, the, the structure and everything has shifted. Is Dave still involved in, in the game side? He is. Okay. So what, what is his role now? Cause I got his title wrong last time <laughs> I, I posted it. Um, uh, I, I think Dave's uh, Dave's role is is exactly how it has been you okay. know, in my eyes very Just a clearly title then. yeah you, I mean we could talk semantics of you know of title but uh, yeah no exactly as it has been uh, I mean he is um, architect artist uh, there's been a lot of phrases out there but you know um, he really sets the framework for, for sport and for the games and, um, and man, the, just the, the, the programming talent and the, the ability to just push athletes just a little past what they even think they're capable of and then watch them surprise us again and stuff. I mean, it's, that's been super cool, but yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt that's, that is, that is his role and there's nobody else in the world that can do it. Perfect. Glad to hear it. 
All right. Well, then I want to switch to some closing questions so I can let you go because as we're sitting here, you know, there's just an extrication or a house fire waiting to bang out. So whatever happens. <laughs> All right. So the first one is, is there a book that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated or books, plural. Jocko's leaderships are pretty good. Um, that seems like kind of like a softball, easy one, but uh, um, I don't read a lot. Um, I take that back. I read a lot, but it's not the um, the, the the developing um, for my own personal read. Um, I find myself reading so much in the work environment across the board just to stay current, just to stay. Um, you know, where I feel that I, that I'm, that I'm most comfortable with, with not only my, my jobs, but just what I, what I need to have to be able to be able to perform. Um, so that then lends me a less time to read for, you know, personal growth and development. So, um, but I'd have to say I have resonated with a lot of his leadership stuff for sure. Yeah. That's one no, thing I found. no bullshit. It's just, yeah, exactly. I dig point. it. Yeah. Yeah, but even with the technical stuff, as you know, as a firefighter, I did a lot of my special ops classes. I wasn't on a, a squad ever, but uh, you know, you got the paramedic side. I mean, there's just so much information to be, you know, to to work towards mastery. You'll obviously never get there. No, um, that can't. I didn't have any any time for reading for anything else, really. Yeah, yeah. So there's uh there's that, and there'll be time for that. Um, I got a new book here that. Just given to me by a friend that I'm going <laughs> to delve into for sure. So, uh, so that'll happen. Put it in the toilet. <laughs> I'll find out. I'll, I'll let you know. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the next question. Is there a movie and or documentary that you love? Okay. Um, oh, all time. I probably got two movies. All time greatest favorite. Uh, Goodwill Hunting by far. No doubt. No doubt about it. Love that movie. Um, and Rudy too, but I always say those are my two favorites. You haven't seen those. You haven't seen movies. Um, documentary. If you have any. Yeah. Oh, I do actually. I do have one. Um, my octopus teacher. You are not the first person to recommend that. My God blew me away. Netflix, right? Yes. Yeah. Watched it three times. Just couldn't believe it. Just blew me away dug it and now talk about you know full circle for what we're even here talking about wasn't intended seemed like a softball question right now but right away since so you said documentary that just that that one was like amazing to me and not even because of everything we're discussing now just me as a as a person and then just enjoying and then catching the underlying message and everything about it so well done so amazing i don't know i dug that one a lot brilliant yeah have I'm you seen it i haven't yet i've actually what? it's on my little list to, to watch and it's been recommended probably least three or four times so yeah i need to i'll probably go watch it tonight actually trust me you'll dig it brilliant you'll dig it all right well then the next question is there a person you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world you know what actually be, i think would be pretty cool sean rocket have you interviewed him yet? Is it Sean Rocket? Sean Rocket. I have not, no. Dr. Rocket. You know what? He has been recommended. He's, he's <laughs> the, the on-site um, doctor, isn't he? He's, he's our orthopedic also, surgeon. Yes, yes that's right. <laughs> that has been part of our team since the beginning. Um, amazing guy. 
CrossFits, like lives it, does it. And at the high spectrum, you know, of orthopedic surgeons there for us and the athletes and at no time have we ever even come close to for for what he brings to the table that we've been able even to come close to to paying him back with thanks or just he's he's amazing um him and mike ray and our entire medical team are incredible have you had mike on already no you haven't you haven't mike ray on yet either no sir oh my gosh son (laughs) (laughs) i guess i will be soon Uh, i had assumed that one um, so Mike Ray is the medical director for the CrossFit Games. Okay. Um, again, uh, Flagstaff, Arizona, um, Lisa Ray, Flowmaster, part of CrossFit in the highest sense for many years. Mike is, is seminar, but he's also, you know, an ER physician, frontline, and is, you know, are, uh, has been on the games team longer than me. So there's a few people that have tenure on me and stuff on the games team in a sense, you know, since we've been started doing events. And mm-hmm. Mike is one of the ones that hasn't missed anything. Like the first aromas year, Mike was there, you know, as medical and stuff. So right. those two to delve into that or maybe even together or something. You've, yes. Perfect. Trust. Me. Let's make it happen. Then. Please. Mike and Sean, let them know that I sent them your way and stuff. Beautiful. Two amazing individuals and have Mike and they both have such a, a very unique, great kind of like connect deep connection with both CrossFit and with, you know, um, the medical field. And just like, woof. yeah, I think they would they'll share a lot more than I could share with you. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. That's why I love these conversations. I love these questions because I mean, it really is just open so many rabbit holes to other great people, yeah. you know. All right. Well, then the last question before I make sure people know where to find you, if they want to reach out, um, what do you do to decompress? Um, I just got back from a week of surfing in Costa Rica. Um, I live in Jupiter, Florida, so um, I, I like to be in the ocean at least a couple times a week. Um, stand up paddleboard, surf, swim. Um, I still get a lot of enjoyment out of, even after all these years of still doing a CrossFit workout, doing my CrossFit. That's my, you know, that's my fitness and, you know, an outlet and it's a social environment for me also. Um, so yeah, so those are the things. So, uh, bathed in the ocean and, and a little CrossFit. Those are definitely my outlets for sure. I know those things that make me feel the happiest. Brilliant. All right. Well, then if people want to find you online, follow you on social media, where are the best places to reach out or do that? Well, don't even try the social media. <laughs> I'm not a big social media guy. I have pride in my like, – I, I do have an Instagram account, but I have got zero – I've got a zero for post. I, I saw do. that because I just <laughs> found you yesterday. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I just – it's it's not it's not an environment that I – you know, I, I, I delve and kind of like, you know, pay attention to it sometimes because there's there's some stuff there that's kind of important to me uh, to be part of. Um, but uh, it's just not part of me. Um, uh, but again, uh, jmac at crossfit.com. Super easy. Beautiful. Yeah, jmac crossfit.com. Well, Johnny, I just want to say thank you so much. Yeah, it's been such a great conversation, but having the, the, the dual lens of this strength and conditioning world, you know, obviously the bodybuilding into endurance athlete, into CrossFit, but then also, you know, not only the fire service lens, but all the way through the ranks and all the things you've told us about the progression of this particular department. 
It's been an invaluable conversation. So thank you so much for being generous with your time today. Cool, man. I'm glad I can share something. I mean, maybe my, uh, my journey is unique, but, uh, you know, I hopefully that, uh, I think it's been a really good journey and maybe somebody can gain something from it or, you know, or, or replicate the good pieces. So I think that's important.